Good morning, everyone. It's very nice to be here today, and uh, uh, I've never been here before, and it's a joy to be with you and a joy to see Daniel and Laura and, and their son for the first time. Um, I joined them on Zoom for their wedding, <laughs> but uh, it's nice to be here today. And thank you, Erica, wherever you went, uh, for the beautiful prayer. Uh, Erica is joining me on the Israel tour. We leave next Sunday, and so she's going to experience the, the Tyndale Israel tour as well. So thank you for a beautiful uh, prayer. And, um, and thanks, Daniel, for advertising um, the book, um, because it just came out, and the excitement uh, around it, it took me 15 years to write about God's glory. There's a lot about God's glory in the Bible, so yeah, so if you're interested in that, the publisher is giving a 40% discount if you put the discount code GLORY in, the t in when you pay for it. But anyway, so I can give you more information if you're interested. Um, today I'm going to speak about the meaning and significance of the ascension of Christ. And you might, might wonder what this is all about and what it means even, even the word ascension. Um, in the church calendar year, the ascension of Christ uh, this year is going to be on Thursday, uh, May 18th. On Thursday, May 18th. And in some churches, it's celebrated the, day, the Sunday following, which is the 21st. Now, why am I not here on May uh, 21st to speak on this topic? Well, I'm going to be in Israel, and so that conflicted with the schedule. But since next week is Mother's Day, and then the following Sunday is really Ascension Sunday, you can prepare your hearts for Ascension Sunday and actually know what it's all about. So this is a preview for that. Um, so the other thing that was helpful to know is that the, so the word ascension means to ascend, to go up, and it refers to here specifically to Christ's ascension from earth uh, to go uh, return to the Father. And it occurs uh, uh, on the 40th day after um, the Resurrection uh, Sunday, or what we call Easter Sunday in our, in our church calendar year. Uh, Luke it wrote, as you know, two uh, volumes, uh, Gospel of Luke and Book of Acts, and he mentions that there was 40 days between Christ's resurrection and Christ's ascension. And then, of course, uh, 10 days later is the day of Pentecost. So why am I speaking on this uh, today? I want us to realize how important this doctrine of church, uh, this doctrine as part of our church beliefs is. In fact, when I was researching for this topic, I discovered that some scholars say that this is one of the most neglected doctrines in the faith, in the church, even though it's been part of the church creeds, the confessions of faith that the church has recited over the centuries, going back to 325 with a creed called the Nicene Creed, and that was followed by the Apostles' Creed. And within those creeds, there is this line that the Christians have uh, proclaimed for hundreds of years. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. But why don't we know much about this? I think it's probably not taught very often or preached very often um, in our churches. That could be one reason. Uh, we focus, especially in the more evangelical churches, we tend to focus on Christmas and Easter as our main um, uh, liturgical kind of calendar year from the church's calendar. Um, we maybe don't follow the, the liturgical year uh, set um, as closely as some other churches do. 
Now, I'm originally from Sweden. And by the way, my dad and his wife Lois are here. And uh, so he was born in Sweden too as well. But in Sweden, um, the Swedish uh, country as a whole actually follows the church calendar year quite closely. Um, in fact, the Ascension Thursday, the Ascension Day, is actually a, a civic holiday in Sweden, and you get a long weekend. <laughs> um, but here in Canada, who, who, no one in our society would even know about Ascension Thursday, right? There's no long weekend connected to it. Um, but, uh, and it's interesting because Sweden is actually considered a secular country. Uh, but the general population are quite familiar with the church calendar year because the Lutheran church for many years was the state church, just like the Anglican Church of England is a uh, state church of England. So, but here we're not so aware of the church calendar year. So I want to consider why is the doctrine of ascension of Christ so important and how does it affect our daily lives? In the New Testament, Luke is the only one who actually gives a full description of the event, and we read those two portions from the end of Luke and also beginning of Acts. Matthew and John do not include it in their Gospels. Mark has one verse that mentions it in Mark 16, verse 19, but it doesn't actually describe what happened. Having said this, though, uh, it is implied in the Gospels, especially in John's Gospel, because John uses lots of expressions that Jesus said, I'm going to the Father. I go to the one who sent me. Where I'm going, you cannot go. I prepare a place for you. All these kind of expressions uh, is implying the ascension of Christ. Now, interestingly, outside of the Gospels, we see a lot about the ascension of Christ in terms of its implications and its importance. It's, its importance. Now, I want to begin talking about this topic by going to the Old Testament. You probably thought there was no connection between the Old Testament and the ascension of Christ. But in fact, the disciples would have understood the concept of ascension uh, because they were steeped in the Old Testament. We sometimes forget that the Bible that the early church had, the Bible of, of Jesus and the disciples, was the Old Testament. They didn't have a New Testament at that time. So I want to just consider briefly what the Old Testament has to say first about ascension. We have the stories of Enoch and Elijah. Uh, these uh, two people did not die and were taken up into heaven. And we sometimes refer to that as the ascension or the assumption of Elijah and Enoch, uh, mentioned in Genesis 5 and in 2 Kings 2. We have descriptions of angels ascending and descending and uh, go ascending back to heaven when they've completed their mission. In Psalm 68, verse 18, Psalm 68, verse 18, it describes God as ascending when it says, when you ascended on high, you took many captives, you received gifts from people. This verse is quoted in the book of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 8, and supplied to Jesus in that context. Now, in Psalm 68, though, the psalmist is speaking about God, the divine warrior, who is conquered as king, and he's ascending the mountain to enter into the temple. Uh, as he has won the battle, and so to take residence in the temple. We read today in the call to worship from Psalm 47, verse 5, uh, in our litany at the beginning of the service, God has ascended amidst shouts of joy, the Lord amid the sounding of trumpets. 
And finally, uh, the concept of ascension is applied to the coronation of kings, the kings of Israel and Judah, as well as the king um, Yahweh, the king of kings. So there are several psalms that focus on coronation, Psalm 24, Psalm 47, Psalm 68, Psalm 110, Psalm 118. You'll have to come into my class to get all those references. But anyway, what's interesting is that the king... Um, like God, is then coronated and ascends to the throne and becomes a place of honor, of honoring that person. Now, yesterday, I got up really early. Did anyone else get up really early yesterday? I was up at 5 in the morning to see the coronation of Charles King, King Charles III. And it was worth, worth it, uh, even though I was quite tired last night. Uh, but I really enjoyed it. And as you know, if those who watched it, and you can, if you missed it, you can see lots of repeats of it as well. But he was anointed, right, and put in this throne uh, chair, a very special chair during the ceremony. And um, what's interesting is uh, there was, I thought one of the highlights was the music. I come from a musical family, and the music was just fantastic. Beautiful arrangements and compositions made. And there was a black gospel choir that sang from Psalm 47. This coronation psalm, I, I guess it's not surprising that they would pick a coronation psalm in the light of the coronation of Charles III. So what's interesting, they sang, um, the, the verse that we read, right, God has ascended amidst shouts of joy, the Lord amidst the shout, sounding of trumpets, follows by the verses they sang, sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises, for God is king over all the earth, sing to him with the psalms of praise. And during that coronation ceremony, King Charles had to swear allegiance to the King of Kings. And we do the same, right? We bow before the King of Kings. So we have here this Old Testament concept that's applied to divine kingship and to kings in general. But we also see kind of this example of ascending and descending. When we think of Jesus' incarnation, becoming human, he descended to this earth, and then he ascends again. And some, uh, remember Jesus says in John 16, 28, I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. So the ascension is like, completes that kind of U-shaped uh, life of the incarnation of God through Jesus Christ, the Son descending and then ascending to the Father. So let's now look at the description that Luke gives of the ascension. Luke's gospel locates this event near Bethany, uh, whereas Acts chapter 1 says it happened on the Mount of Olives. Now, you might wonder, is that a contradiction? No, it's not a contradiction, because Bethany is on the Mount of Olives. But Bethany is on the east side of the Mount of Olives, and the Garden of Gethsemane is on the west side of the Mount of Olives. And then, of course, the city of Jerusalem is uh, further west from the Mount of Olives. Um, so it's taking care, t happening on this very special mountain where Jesus had often gone with his disciples to pray. Uh, we know he must have gone to that Garden of Gethsemane many times, because Judas knew where to find him on the Mount of Olives. And so this is where this event takes place. The Gospel of Luke gives a brief description of how the ascension took place. They see that Jesus lifted up his hands and blessed the disciples. And while he was blessing them, he was taken into heaven. 
Now, Jesus was probably blessing them with the Aaronic blessing. The Aaronic blessing is the priestly prayer um, outlined in Numbers, 20, uh, Numbers 6, 24 to 26. And sometimes churches use this blessing to conclude, an, uh, conclude the service as a benediction. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance toward you and, be, and give you his shalom, his peace. And since Hebrews, the writer to the Hebrews, describes Jesus as a high priest, it's most likely he was praying this high priestly prayer over his disciples. And we see the disciples' response was great joy, great joy and worship. Um, and along with great joy and worship, they also saw another miraculous event. Well, well the, first of all, the miraculous event of seeing Jesus lifted before their eyes there. Acts describes their response as being awestruck, right? Looking intently into the sky. Why were they looking so intently to the sky? Maybe they thought Jesus was going to return right away. Maybe they thought the cloud that enveloped Jesus would dissipate and they would see him once more. You know, just like King Charles came out on the balcony a second time when no one expected it, right? Maybe they were expecting Jesus to show up again. Um, we don't really know, but... At the, in that context, the angel, there were two angels that appeared uh, and telling them uh, not to, to uh, worry and not to look up, but that, you know, to go into the city, etc. Um, but also I wanted to highlight between, um, here, there's a really interesting connection between this passage and Jesus uh, being transfigured on the Mount of Transfiguration. Because it mentions this cloud that uh, envelops uh, Jesus. And so there's some interesting parallels between this account and when Jesus was transfigured on Mount Transfiguration, where they caught a glimpse of, God, of Christ's glory. And in, in as Christ also uh, it was enveloped in a cloud of glory on that mountain. And what's interesting is, as you know, and I just wrote a book about it, the book of Exodus talks about God's glory quite a bit. And it it's a, that cloud, that glory cloud, is a sign of God being present, of God's presence and glory, and which filled the tabernacle. And it was visible to all the people. And now we see another cloud enveloping Jesus and taking Jesus into glory. Uh, and this is the, what I have entitled my message, Jesus Taken Up Into Glory. We read today in the, in the call to worship in 1 Timothy 3.16, um, that confession that Jesus, the one last line was, taken up into glory. Now, if this is not wondrous enough, then as I mentioned also, we have these angelic messengers who appear uh, to uh, the disciples just as they appeared to Mary at the tomb. And they are encouraging them, um, to that, telling them that Jesus has left and gone into heaven. In fact, in verses 10 and 11, heaven is mentioned four times, emphasizing that Jesus has gone into another realm, into the kingdom of God uh, in heaven, and that he's reassured, that the angels are reassuring them that he will return one day, just as he promised. And that hope of God's, uh, Christ returning would sustain them on their mission. Now, because Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives, we have many Christians in the world who think that Jesus is going to return to the Mount of Olives. 
Um, in fact, the Orthodox Jewish community also thinks so. Uh, and so if you ever go to Israel, you see there's lots of tombs on the Mount of Olives of Orthodox Jews because they want to be the first ones who get resurrected and to meet the Messiah. Of course, they're not waiting for Jesus. They're waiting for, well, we, we don't, well they're waiting for the Messiah, but they don't really recognize Jesus as the Messiah. But, but, but also, uh, many Christians also think that Jesus will come to Mount of Olives be, I mean, because of this account. Now, we don't actually know for sure that he's going to return to the Mount of Olives. Um, the reference that the angels say that it may be just simply that he's coming in power and glory associated with a cloud. It doesn't say the specific place that he will return to. In fact, Jesus also predicted that he would come in power and glory and great glory. Um, and, and so it might just be a reference to his return in such a powerful way. But what is wonderful here and clear is that Jesus promises that he's going to return, that he is going to come. And we know he said that to the disciples on another occasion. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And to receive you to myself, to receive you to myself. What a wonderful hope we have as Christians. Um, sometimes I don't think we really think enough about um, the coming of Christ. And I don't know if that's part of the series here, but uh, it's, uh, it's also an important topic to uh, speak on and to think about. Uh, Jesus has promised to come and take us to himself. Amen. So let's now talk about the significance of this. So why is this important for our faith, the ascension of Christ? Why did Jesus have to send to the Father? So I want to look at that question first, and then I want to look at the implications of it. Are the implications of Christ's ascension for our daily lives? What difference does it make in our lives? So let's look at the significance first. And the significance is that it communicates some important truths about Christ's person and work and his identity and mission. And so I'm going to list a few of those important truths for you today. Together with the resurrection, the ascension completes the exaltation of Christ, his enthronement as king of kings. Along with the resurrection, it vindicates his divine identity as God and effectiveness of his redemptive work on the cross. When Christ ascends, he, he ascends to a throne. He ascends to a throne that is at the right hand of God the Father. Paul, Peter said in the book of Acts, in the reading today, Acts 2.33, that Jesus was exalted to the right hand of God. As I already mentioned with the Old Testament background, to be um, the concept of ascension itself implies honor, right? To be raised to the place of honor as a king would be raised. But also, the notion of a right hand is also associated with honor. Biblically, to sit at someone's right hand on this side, my right hand, is to sit in the place of honor. You remember when Jesus gave a parable in Matthew chapter 5, where he talked about separating the sheep and the goats? The sheep went to the place of honor on the right side, whereas the goats went to the left side. So again, even in Jesus' teaching, he brings up the notion of the right side being a place of honor. Psalm 110 which we read in the litany today, is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. 
Anyone who likes Bible trivia, I know that sometimes the Alliance churches have these quizzing, quizzing uh, Bible um, programs where they learn lots of scripture verses. Well, if you like Bible trivia, one of these trivia questions could be, first of all, what is the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament? Psalms, A+. plus. <laughs> and what is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament? Psalm 110. Yes, Psalm 110. Uh, it is the most quoted psalm in the New Testament. Uh, and notice verse 1 begins with, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And this is what Peter is quoting in Acts chapter 2 that we read today. And it's quoted many times in the New Testament, uh, both in the Gospels and also in the book of Hebrews. We see Jesus enthroned at God's right hand as king, as victorious divine warrior, as high priest, as judge, as intercessor. He is sitting down because his work of atonement and reconciliation through his death on the cross is complete. He sits down because it is finished. The finished work of, of Christ on the cross. So this is one wonderful way that we remember why we, it's so significant for us to think about the ascension. We read today Philippians 2, 9, therefore God has exalted him to the highest place, right? That at every, that at the name of Jesus, every name, uh, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. May we confess Jesus as Lord in our lives today and submit to his lordship. That brings me to this next point, is that while Jesus is sitting on that right hand uh, throne of God, he continues his work as high priest, as intercessor. He is praying for us. He is interceding for us uh, at the right hand of the Father. Now think about that. I was praying about this this morning, and as I was praying, I was trying to picture Jesus praying for me. Jesus is praying for you right now. He is interceding for you right now. Isn't that amazing truth? I think it's actually hard to comprehend, really. But it's amazing truth. 1 John 2 says that if we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is advocating for his people. He is interceding. He is praying for you and for me. A song sometimes we sing in Christian circles is a song called Before the Throne of God Above. And the one, I just want to read a couple of verses. Before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. Another verse, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. We have an advocate with the Father who's praying for us, who is advocating for us, sitting on that throne. And so we are worshiping and submitting to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we are his subjects. Therefore, we don't have to be afraid because he has conquered all authorities and powers in this world, including death and the devil. Praise the Lord. He is sovereign and Lord, and he is interceding for us. 
A third reason that's very significant related to the Christ ascension is the work of the Holy Spirit. And we sang a little bit about the Holy Spirit this morning. Thank you for that. Jesus said that he had to return to the Father to, in order for the Holy Spirit to come. Speaking of the Spirit of God, he told his disciples in John 16, 7, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Here the advocate or the helper, the counselor is the Holy Spirit. And of course in Luke and in Acts, Jesus instructed his disciples to wait for the baptism of the Holy Spirit before they start their mission. And they had to wait 10 days. You know, they actually didn't know how long they had to wait. They just were told to wait in prayer. And they were, as they were praying, the Holy Spirit came 10 days later after the ascension. Of course, this is commemorated on the day of Pentecost, which, is, which was a Jewish feast. And this is the reason why there were so many people in Jerusalem from all over the world is because they were there to celebrate this week festival of Pentecost. Um, and so Peter, on the day of Pentecost, says, Exalted to the right hand of God, he received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you see, now see and hear. Acts chapter 2, 33. A fourth reason why Jesus ascended was in order to make preparation for us for his return. Remember he said he was preparing a place for us? so that we would be with him forever. The two angels emphasized this when he departed in, into his glory. And when we celebrate communion, which we did today, in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul says in chapter 11, 26, that whenever we celebrate the, the communion and the body and the bread of Christ, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes, right? Until he comes. So even as we celebrate communion, we remember that he's coming again, that he is returning. He's making preparation for, for that return. But even though he is not physically here among us, Jesus did say that he will always be with us. In Matthew 28:20, 20, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. In John's gospel, he says, I will never, not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Uh, Jesus comes to us through the, uh, the, the Spirit and reveals himself to us as we celebrate communion together, as we discern uh, his body and blood. We are also the temple of the Holy Spirit. So when we're filled with the Spirit, we're filled with God's uh, Spirit in our temple as well. So finally, let's think about those implications, the practical application for us. How does this impact you and me in our daily lives? Does it make any difference that Jesus ascended into heaven? So first of all, the exaltation of Jesus' ascension to the th God's throne challenges us, as Erica so beautifully prayed, challenges us to humble ourselves and submit to his lordship as our king. Peter said on the day of Pentecost, God has made Jesus both Lord and Messiah. As our Lord, Messiah, Savior, and King, we need to humble ourselves under his lordship. A well-beloved hymn that we often sing is called, Crown Him with Many Crowns. 
And so when we submit to his lordship, we are crowning him as our king, as our lord. Have we submitted to his lordship today? Have I submitted to his lordship? Maybe there's some here who've never done that. But this is an opportunity to do that. God desires for you to acknowledge him as Lord and King in your life because he has saved you. He has died for you and he wants to save you. He wants to deliver you. He wants you to be known as his child. So this is an opportunity to submit to his Lordship today. And the, us of, those of us who are Christians, we need to submit to his Lordship each morning, each day, as we walk our daily lives before the Lord. And because Christ is King, we can then trust in him. Human rulers and kings and queens and leaders, they're not perfect. They're not infallible. They try their best to lead our country or lead uh, societies, but but we serve a God who is trustworthy, who we can rely on, who we can trust, and he is the one we submit to. Understanding this profound truth also should affect our worship, our worship, as we humbly worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. How we view God affects our worship. When we sing praises to God in church services and as we worship God in our devotional time, in our prayer time with the Lord, I wonder if we can picture him as our king and Lord, as the king of kings, enthroned in majesty and in holiness. If we did that, that would impact our worship. And it could fill us with that great joy that the disciples experienced. They experienced great joy as they worshiped Christ as he ascended. A third area of our lives, it should also impact our prayers. Not only our worship of the Lord as King of Kings, it should impact our prayers because we have an advocate with the Father, someone who's praying for us. Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through 16 says the following, Therefore we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace, throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We have a high priest in Jesus Christ who empathizes, who sympathizes with our weaknesses. And because of that, we also have a throne of grace that we can appeal to, Jesus sitting on that throne of grace, and that we can come with confidence, with boldness, knowing that Jesus offers mercy and grace. It's a throne of grace that we come to in prayer. So knowing that Jesus is interceding for us and praying for us should impact our own prayers as he is on our side, as he is cheering us on through this journey of life. Thanks be to God for that. And finally, oh, a couple of more points, yeah. After Christ ascended, the Spirit of God was poured out on the church. So this is another reason, is that the Spirit was given, and this is one of the reasons why he departed, so that the church would be empowered by the Holy Spirit, so that we would be able to be witnesses for him. 
Practically, we should be praying for a fresh anointing, a fresh filling of the Spirit every day, so that we will be empowered to be witnesses for Christ, that we will be that temple of the Holy Spirit that lives holy and pleasing lives to the Lord. Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit so that we could be empowered, so that we could be comforted, so we could have a counselor. And then finally, we have this sure hope for the future. Jesus promised that he would return one day. This should motivate us for mission. It's always so encouraging to hear what God is doing on different places around the world. And thank you for sharing for Thailand, from Thailand. But we are living also right here in a mission place, a place, a mission. We are joining God's mission uh, as we serve him, wherever God has placed us as witnesses. And so he wants to empower us so that we can be a witness and to serve him in his mission. So we have this wonderful hope that motivates us to share our faith, that Christ is going to return one day, and one day um, we will see him face to face. What a glorious uh, day that will be. I often get asked the question, are we living in the end times? I asked, got that question quite a bit during the restrictions of the pandemic. But I get that because I'm an Old Testament scholar, and so they want to know what Ezekiel has to say or something like that. But anyway, um, what I want to say, when I get that question these days, I want to say that I don't know how soon Christ will come, but I do know that he will come, right? And, and in fact, Jesus said in the book of Acts, he said that it's not for the disciples to know when, right? He said when he would return and restore the kingdom. But one of my students, uh, we were discussing this in class, one of my students reminded me once, and I thought this was a very profound truth. And he is a pastor, and he was saying that he would answer that same question, that we are all living in the end times. We are living in our personal end times, because we don't know when Christ will return. The key thing is that, are we ready? Are we ready for his return? How am I living today is important, that we live our life in light of his return. And so even though we may not know exactly when he's coming, we are still living in the end times. We are living in our personal end times, and how we live our lives matter. So I pray that God will give us courage today to live holy uh, lives for him, but also to have the courage to share our faith uh, to share in the mission of God, and to be reminded of this wonderful hope that Jesus ascended so that one day he will come back. And that, that ascension of Christ reminds us of our great hope, that Jesus was taken up into glory, and one day he will come again and we, so that we will be with him forever. May we long for that day with joy and anticipation and worship and cry, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. We are so grateful that, Jesus, you came to this earth, that you descended and you became one of us, and that you died for us. And we thank you so much that you conquered death and the grave and the devil, and that you were uh, resurrected from the grave. 
But Lord, today we've been thinking about the significance of your ascension. And so we thank you that you have ascended to that right-hand throne of God of grace. And so I pray you would give us the courage to come to your throne of grace with boldness, that you would help us to be filled afresh with your spirit, that you would empower us to be witnesses for you, and that we will live our lives in light of your promise of return. And so we thank you for that. In your powerful name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.